The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. We will be in Matthew 5, I mean chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And as Aaron said, we are going through a new series, and this series will kind of carry out throughout the summer. Uh, we will be going first through the Lord's Prayer, and then second through the book of Exodus, I mean uh, through the Ten Commandments, which is in the book of Exodus. This, con- this really helps us move God from the area in which you might have heard big God theology or transcendence to the reality that He is a very imminent God. He is intimate with his people. And what that means is is that he's a God that loves to dwell with us. And I will kind of expound on it a bit more. But the intimacy that we have with God should lead without a shadow of a doubt intimacy that we have with one another. And that should be a deep and rich intimacy in which is uh, pursuing which one of our core values is intentional relationships with each other. So as we look at this, um, as we go throughout this series, it is a collective mind in which we ought to be seeing how God is with his people and how he helps us live out community life together. Uh, let me read chapter 6, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, you must not, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard. For their, for their many words do not, <coughs> excuse me, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. Verse 8 again. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. That you remind us that you love us and that you provide for our needs. And that everything that we lay before you may not be answered according to our will, but according to your will. Thank you for teaching your disciples, which teaches us through your word how to pray. Help us to continue to follow you as Christians and those who are inquiring and seeking you. I pray, God, that you begin to work in their hearts and their minds. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Uh, baby, could you give me uh, the water right there? Father, uh, last couple weeks, we you have heard Richard going through and emphasizing the theme of his sabbatical, which is waiting on God. And I would say that it should be semicolon Mike waiting on Richard to come back. Uh, 
this, this, amen, amen. This actually comes out of Psalm 62, which we know he's been emphasizing this the past couple weeks. And, and it's in order to wait on God, we, we have to know who the God we're waiting on. We have to know who he is. And as we begin this new series, we, we're going to know that God because he desires to be in relationship with us and we should desire to intentionally be in relationship with him and one another. And our scripture passage teaches us something this morning. That Jesus is trying to preach how to live a righteous life. If you know anything about the Sermon of the Mount, he's teaching the disciples how to be Christians, how to be Christ followers. And as they are on the mount, <coughs> you actually have people that are peering in on the conversation or the sermon that Jesus is having with his disciples. And so the context lets us know that this is an important uh, uh, moment in which the disciples are being developed in, dis- in, in their spiritual walks in order to know what it means to be like Christ. This should speak to us as well as we read the Sermon of the Mount or if you practice any of the Beatitudes. These are actual countercultural practices in which they allow us to live out a righteous life and not a worldly life. I think the distinction has to be there and I want to emphasize it because saints, which means holy people, that's who we are. Set apart individuals for God's uh, kingdom. So what's, what's interesting though is, is throughout the entire Bible you see God pursuing a people that he has intentionally chosen to be with him but they reject him. You look in the Pentateuch and you see Jesus, you see God pursue his people on the Tower of Babel. You see him talk to Abraham. You see him have conversations with Moses on the mountain. You see him actually use Moses to deliver his people and speaks directly to him. You look at the historical books and you see God actually in a tent dwelling amongst his people. He's in a cloud covering his people. God loved to dwell amongst them even even when he, uh, when there's a moment of exile, he uses the prophets to let them know that I am still speaking. I am still here. I'm a God that cares for my people. What's so interesting though is he doesn't stop right there in the book, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. You get to the Gospels and what does he do? He goes beyond the fact of speaking audibly. He goes beyond the fact of just dwelling in a tent. But he actually delivers to us his only begotten son who will die on our behalf and redeem all of his people. Regenerating our hearts in a way in which we can then, our hearts will then be attuned to his very presence. But what happens with people is the Romans 5. Is that we are hostile enemies to God. And in being hostile enemies to Jesus, we reject Him in every area of our lives. And we don't realize that that's our natural bent. But why would a God pursue a people like us? Why would a big God, a 
God that's transcendent beyond our comprehension. Uh, a God who has created all things. Why does he desire intimacy with us? Why does he care about a people that rejects him? Why does he care about a people who will fall away from him? Why does he care about always trying to rescue individuals? Always trying to reconcile us towards one another? Why is that a ministry that God cares about? I think the simple answer is that this love, which we've experienced, and the psalmist says this, is better than life. This love is the very love he wants to bestow on his people. It can be more theologically deep and rigorous, but we we don't have to go beyond the fact that God simply loves you. That's so powerful in this statement because sometimes we get so abstract and theoretical, we miss the fact that even in moments when we're alone, we don't think that God loves us. We don't think anybody loves us. We forget that God cares for us so much so that He has a plan for our lives. And so you actually see that God, He wants to know your hurts and your pains. He wants to know about the abuse because he already knows. He wants to know about the fatherless home because he already knows. He wants to know about your home life because he already knows. He wants to know about the drinking and drugging because he already knows. He wants to know about how you find your security in relationship after relationship, how you're trying to make your your evangelism, dating, because he already knows. He wants to know how you try to find all of your being in your education, all of your being in your career path, all of your being in your bank account. Why? Because God already knows that you are not satisfied without him. This is why it is important that we must understand how deep His love is for us. It's the Father's love. It's a deep love. It's a caring love. I think it was Brian Stevenson who may have coined the phrase, I don't know, but but proximity breeds empathy, right? Many of you have probably heard of that, but I'd like to put a gospel twist on that and just say that Christ-centered, and this is the main thought of this sermon, Christ-centered proximity breeds Christ-centered intimacy with one another, which then leads to Christ-centered dependency. Christ-centered proximity breeds Christ-centered intimacy with God and with one another, which then leads to Christ-centered dependency. That's important for most of us because it is so easy for us to live in isolation. It is so easy for our spiritual formation to be about our individual lives. How Western is that? See, if we were just to tie in to what Richard was saying, because I think it applies, because remember he said a statement that was very poignant last week, is that our prayer lives, they're horrible because of our lack of intimacy. We are so distracted with technology that we actually feel as if we can customize our lives by the settings that we set for our Christian, for our spiritual formation. Do we then realize that we can't change the settings on our spiritual lives? 
God has a plan for us. God has a plan for you. You either fit into it or he breaks you. I don't know if you fooled around with your iPhone and you felt like, I just can't change some settings. It just won't work. See, see, this is the reality that if we think that we can change some of the settings of our lives, then what happens is that begins to be some incomputations. Things are just not calculated correctly. Things don't equal up right. We don't fit them into, that begin to be, a, what is it, square pegs and trying to, square, circle pegs trying to fit in and square holes. These things just don't fit rightly. Y'all see where I'm going. This is the reality in which we live in. And knowing that if our lives are then set it on self, are, are, are the settings of self-centeredness, we lose the intimacy that we have with God. And so out of the main thought, here are two points. That Christ-centered proximity requires intimacy. And Christ-centered proximity requires dependency. And we see this directly in our text. And what we see right here in verse 5 is what Jesus expects from us. Look at what he says. He says, and when you pray. And when you pray, he expects the disciples to pray. This is not a subtle implication, but an explicit expectation that the disciples ought to be consistent in their prayer lives. This actually affirms what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, where he says, pray without ceasing, giving the notion that (coughs) consistently seeking God requires us to pray throughout our day, pray in our life, pray when we're in the car, pray when we're we're at the coffee pot, pray when we're walking down the street, pray when we're in brushing our teeth. Pray when we don't when we don't know how to regulate our minds. Pray when we're frustrated. Pray when we don't know what to pray about. Just call on His name. Pray without ceasing because this is an essential guide as to how you ought to make decisions in your life. <clears throat> so many of us are confused as the de- about the decisions that we make. So we make several decisions. What we do is we do several things and we don't necessarily think about praying to God and asking Him to guide us. So what happens is we can't make a decision or decisions can't be made because we have not brought it to Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, so what it, what it means is is that what actually happens is that you figure out, oh, I'm going I'm to I'm go ahead and, and when, I, when I go to school, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to just um, major in 50 different things. Instead of asking God to help you see your giftings, to help you see how He's regulated you and shaped you and molded you, how He's given you a heart and a passion for certain things and major in that thing, or or it's uh, you 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 jump from um, occupation to occupation, or it's you jump from city to city, you jump from location to location because you're simply looking for something to fulfill you, but you have yet to pray. Which then gets to the point of what Richard was talking about, waiting on God. You see, I believe that I can, I can, I can actually assess someone's spiritual life due to the fact of how they make decisions. I can tell if they're praying or not. I can tell when it's a random decision. I can tell when it's an informed, prayed, uh, uh, prayed on decision. Because they seek godly counsel. Before they make a move, pray. Then they seek godly counsel. Then they pray. 
and then they write it down. They make it plain and seek directional clarity. And then they pray. (laughs) See, God works in the sense in which He doesn't want us to make our own decisions. He's such a selfish and jealous God that He wants to make the decisions for us. See, I had to learn this being a married man. Mm hmm. Yep. You know, we go out to restaurants. <laughs> you know what? She's going to have the filet mignon. Y'all didn't catch that. Uh huh. She's going to have mashed potatoes and asparagus. Take care of that. I'm not really making decisions for my wife like that. I'm just making a point that actually, (laughs) then in all actuality, there is a sense in which you feel secure when a decision is made on your behalf by someone you respect and honor. Who is someone that we respect and honor more than God himself? So God, we know that he directs us. But here's a parenthetical statement that I also want to make as well. That it is hard to have a strong prayer life outside of community. It is hard to have a sincere prayer life outside of community. Uh, Here at our church, we're not a heavy programmatic church. Uh, In fact, we are a church that is built around our community groups. And what we have in our community groups and understand in our community groups is a sense of fellowship and and growing in our spiritual formation and discipleship. This is important for our lives. And see, I know many of us uh, at times are overwhelmed by what's going on in life. And so community groups become optional. And they become something that we, we feel as if we can do without depending on where we are in life. And you know what? I am sympathetic with that. But here is my pitch, is that if we don't then go to community group, if you have a family or if you have a few friends around you, community group should just be a practice in a way of life. See what I'm saying? So if, if, if I have five kids and, 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 and I can't, I know it's just hard for me to get all these babies in the car every week and try, or try to host something every week. What I'm going, what, what I'm saying should happen is that community group should be for the Danish family. Every Wednesday or every Sunday, every Thursday. And, and, and what happens is you begin to see how this is just a way of life and not an accessory to life. Because that speaks to how we treat God. That's why we say the we is important. Intimacy with God leads to intimacy with one another. This is also a collective way in which we grow in our spiritual formation, knowing that these are powerful ways in which God will draw our hearts together. You may be saying, Mike, that sounds foolish. Actually, think about how much development or intellectual formation that you go through on your job. So many of you take tests to reassess yourselves. So many of you go through several different phases. And so many of you go to conferences in order to equip yourself. What are we doing thing with our spiritual life? If this is then the very thing that guides us and leads us, if this is the very thing that helps us, then if it is not important to the spiritual, to our spiritual life, if, if, it's not, if community is not important to our spiritual formation, we lose out on something. And that's what we understand from growing in our walk with the Lord. 
But that was a parenthetical statement. But Jesus says this as he continues on. So he says, when you pray, there's an expectation for that in, in this intimacy that actually comes out of proximity. That's Christ-centered. But he, listen to what he says. He says in verse 5, <coughs> excuse me, do not, you must not be like the hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? He's insinuating these hypocrites, when you look at verse, when you look as he continues on, they, for they love to stand and pray. It's unfortunate because he's insinuating that they love to stand and pray, but why do they love to stand and pray? For their own reputation that is pious and self-saving. You look at the word and you look it up, you understand what uh, uh, the hypocrites meant in classical Greek. It's actually in that culture it was theatrical. It literally meant to be an actor. And what it would describe them as theatrical individuals that were pretentious and drawing, drawing attention to themselves uh, uh, in, in an ungodly way. And it was the ill intent to distract people from the focus of who God, of what prayer is supposed to be about. And it's supposed to be about God. You may say, yeah, I don't understand what it would mean to just go out and pray on the street corners or go out and just pray and stand up in the synagogues. We aren't supposed to do that. I don't want y'all to miss something that the reality in that culture was it was okay to actually pray in public. It was actually okay, and we can see this in Daniel, where Daniel uh, goes up to his room, and he opens up the window, and he brings out his prayer mat, and he turns towards Jerusalem, and he's praying where people can see him. We also see this, that he practices the prayer three times a day. In Jewish culture, it was morning, afternoon, and evening. And so, wherever you were, you would, you would begin to pray. This is still in some remnants of the Muslim culture in which they would pray at any time. We can see how it relates to Jewish culture. So it doesn't mean that you praying in public or stopping and praying that that was just out of character. No, it doesn't. But what it means is when it was flamboyant and boisterous, it drew attention from who actually deserved prayer. You can see Peter and John in Acts 3 and 1 where they are walking to Jerusalem for the hour of prayer. It was common practice. But see, we can miss something. And that is, if our prayer lives are only functional when people are watching what does it mean to have an intimate relationship with God? So this is what Jesus says, then, then how do we pray? Look at verse 6. Go into your room. Shut the door. And pray to who? Your Father who is in secret. It's John Stott who says, We are to close the door against disturbance and distraction, but always shut out the prying eyes of men and shut ourselves in with God. So essentially, what it says here, and I was translating this passage with a couple brothers in the congregation, what what it's saying is that we will actually find God in the secret place. We don't just simply isolate ourselves from God or from people in this closet or in this room. But what it means is the one who is able to reward, he will be with you. As you are praying in that room. What am I saying? It ties into the biblical narrative of God always being with his people. 
And He is the one that it will be able to reward. And the very presence of God is even more securing and assuring in the secret place that you choose because you know that He is a God that will answer the prayer. It's important to know who will answer the prayer. And knowing that you cannot conjure up a way in God that God will answer the prayer. You may say, I don't know how this, how this operates. Because in, in pagan culture, they would pray to their gods in order to try to manifest material possessions. And so they would try to force their gods to do something. We've done that before. Mm-hmm. God, if, if uh, they close work today, that means I'm not supposed to work there no more. Right, right. That's a, that's a modern day word. Or <clears throat> if if she calls me, that means I'm supposed to be with her. Right. That is trying to manipulate God in prayer. You're not totally handing it over to Him. You're still trying to control it and make a, a decision. God is saying that proximity and intimacy that, that that requires intimacy means that you give it all over to Him. And we see that God is not also ashamed of public prayer. I want to say that because the misconception is, well, I can pray in my prayer closet. I don't need nobody else. Y'all may know that song. Oh, like that God, King Jesus. Uh, because the reality is we see Jesus pray aloud with the five, when he's feeding the 5,000. Corporate prayer and private prayer should be practices of our lives. And that is the point of prayer. But how? In today's society, when it's a challenge, how is it hard? It is difficult not to be a pious individual when we reflect on so many of the synagogues in the street corners of our day. And I think those synagogues and street corners are Instagram and Facebook, Twitter. So many of those street corners and synagogues today are trying to gain adoration from your peers according to how much knowledge you know about Jesus. It is trying to beef up yourself by counting your righteousness. But see, what the text tells us is that is not necessary because that's not where you find your reward. He says the hypocrites will have their reward. But listen, the famous picture, we know, the Instagram picture of the Bible, the coffee cup, the notebook that's open or closed, and the pen nicely angled on that book with a caption, Time with God. I think that that is, our, that, is, that is actually our synagogues or street corners in which a lot of times we, in our own intimacy, we allow ourselves to display what we are doing and communicate what we're doing for some, not all, but for some to let people know that we, that we have a relationship with God. To yell from the street corners. Because think about it, if, if, if praying is the highest level of intimacy... And married people, how many pictures will we show of our bedroom? How many of the intimate moments of intense fellowship will we show? That we have with one another. When I mean intense fellowship, I'm talking about arguing. That's what we call it in our household. Intense fellowship. 
uh, 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 but, 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 but how much of we we don't see the the Instagram photos of of, of the husband and the wife fighting. <clears throat> We don't see the Facebook vi- live videos of, of the, the unclean dishes. You know, we, we, don't, we don't see all of the mess in our lives, which then we're not really being intimate because we're not being vulnerable. You see what I'm saying? And so if, if then, if our spirit, if this is much of a heart check, if our spiritual lives are to be vulnerable, then we want to leave that highest level of intimacy up with God and with our brothers and sisters. That's key for us today because it may require some self-discipline for many others. Because as Richard mentioned last week, we can think that we're connected, but we're so disconnected. And that's the challenge for us. That's where we are in culture today. And so don't allow your intimacy with God to be crowded out with apps on your phone. Sometimes I think for us, some of us, we just need to go ahead and get one of these. Just trust the old Bibles. That's it. You see, I still got to, I got I probably need one of the, you know, back in the day they had the carrying case. I probably need that, all this paper. Um, I used to have it. But, but that's what I, that's what I believe it requires for many of us. But then point number two is that Christ-centered proximity requires dependency. So it's important to know that dependency should be on the sufficiency of Christ and not what we conjure up. And we demonstrate this in the way that we acknowledge that God is the supreme ruler, that he's all sufficient. No matter what happens in life, he is in control. Amen. That's as, as simple as possible. And it's important because we know that he then makes provisions. It's Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Jones, who says, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at its greatest and highest when upon his knees face to face with God. I would just add that it is our, tempered, our spiritual temperature gauge. The talking with God is the pinnacle of in- intimacy and it's also an indicator of our dependency. It's an indicator of our dependency. And we see this when we look at verse 7 where he says, When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, as they <coughs> who are also known as pagans, as they do. <coughs> So the Gentiles who thought they could be wordy and, and eloquent with their words or long-witted in their, in their prayers, they thought that they would gain all of this attention from their God or from their gods. But it was wrong. When you look at 1 Kings 18, 26, and 28, it's a great illustration where Elijah is making fun of the, of the pagan worshippers. He says, and then they took the bull that, get, that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of ba- Baal. From morning unto noon. I mean, they were calling on his name, y'all. They're saying, Baal, oh, answer us. Repeating this. Baal, oh, answer us. Repeating this. But there was no voice, no one to answer. But they limped around the altar that they, that they had made. But, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is, uh, for is a, uh, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Do y'all see that? 
that the reality in which they thought the gods that they were worshiping and depending on could actually answer prayer, Elijah makes fun of them. And it's sad that they kill themselves because they didn't know the real God. It, this repetition reminds me of a funny movie when we, when we were watching this uh, Indiana Jones where the dude was saying, bum bum she buy a million times. Many people may not know that. But he's just, he was repeating this phrase and death was imminent, right? But we see this because we know that we don't repeat empty phrases to God because he is able to answer that's the example that we see out of 1 Kings 18, 26 28. God knows what his people needs. And as he knows, and is, as he's keenly aware, it's according to how we depend on him. So what is it that we bring to God? What is it that you bring to him? Do you call on his name? Do you actually pray to this God? Do you trust in him? Do you believe that he will answer the prayers according to your will, to his will? This isn't sexy because our prayer lives oftentimes require it, it can be mundane. It's not always going and, and, and feeling energized. But there's some times where you have to yell, you have to grunt, you have to lament. And this is a part of this is a part of praying. It's difficult and it's hard. It's not natural, but it's good. And that's what it means for us. So we want to help build you to have a healthy spiritual I mean, prayer life. And one way, as I was already mentioning about community groups, I remember as me and Richard had been going around to several of them, is that we, what we, what we were, what, one of the things that we were trying, we were presenting to community groups and pretty much recasting vision was that we wanted to be focused on God's word, on prayer, and worship. I believe in building the, the, the habits of the gospel rhythms of life. So that they don't become task oriented. That, that the prayer is something that we check off in the morning. But actually it's just a, it's, it's a part of who we are. And I remember one, <clears throat> matter of fact, a couple individuals who mentioned how that they were afraid to pray in public. But it was actually through commun- community group that they, do, they discovered how to pray. They learned how to pray. And that was encouraging because so many <clears throat> individuals give up on prayer because they don't know how to pray. I remember having a lady say to me who was a professing Christian and I, and I didn't take it seriously at the time she said, Mike, I don't know how to pray. Can you teach me? I was like, are you playing? She said, seriously, I don't know how to pray. And so what I began to do is I brought out a couple models and that's what I presented this morning. It's the Acts model that many of us can learn how to use to pray. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Meaning you adore God, that, that, you, that you actually say, say praises to His name. You can do that while you're driving. Confessing to God. When you have done something wrong in your heart, in your mind, when you've wronged someone, when you've offended another person, when, you've, when you, there's something in your heart to confess, confess it to Him. He wants to hear it. And thanksgiving. Be thankful. Thank God for where you are in life. Thank God for the people that you have around you. Thank God for the spouse. Thank God for your children. Thank God for being single. That's not a curse. It's another sermon. 
Thank God for the money that you have in your pocket. With supplication, continue to petition to Him. Continue to ask. And that's the other one. Ask. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, ask, ask God to do something. Ask Him, what will you do? Ask Him questions. Don't be afraid to ask God. Don't be afraid to bring that to Him. And then seek it. The way you seek it is use godly counsel. Use people in your community group. If you are looking for a job or you are looking for something, you may ask God, but then you may, ne- you, you may need to ask someone, hey, this is what I've been asking God for. You know anything in that area? Do you know how I can get around? You know how you know someone I can talk to? Do you have any wisdom in this area? And then knock. As you knock, what that means is if that person has given you godly wisdom, then you take that and you act upon it. And you begin to knock on the doors of life. Where you feel as if God has opened them, walk through them. Pray through that walking through them. Where He closes them, know that God is making provisions for you when He closes the door. College students, every college application doesn't necessarily have to go through. Every job that, that you apply for, doesn't, you, you don't have to get it. Every uh, promotion that you feel as if that you need, you don't, you, that, that could be a closed door for your benefit. Just know that. And then praise hymn books and lament. Now, I practice singing in the shower and in the car. And I'm telling you, when I'm I'm in the car, I sound like Fred Hammond. (laughs) I'm telling you. But what happens is God begins to cultivate in my heart. He builds a rhythm in my life. Because that that becomes, that's a place where I can pray to the Lord and I can sing to Him. I can use some of the songs. When Adriana and the team brings up a new song, ask her what song it is so you can learn it. There are songs that she introduced to us in order for us to learn so that we can sing it. That's important. Use your Spotify. Use your um, Apple iTunes or Tidal or whatever to, to look these songs up in order to grow. So then when you come in here, you can sing without looking at the at the um at the screen, the projector. Hymn books, if you got one at home, use it. Bust out some oh I will trust in the Lord. But allow it to lead you into prayer. Pray those words. Allow that to be something that begins to be a basic part of your life. But everything is not well, so make sure you lament as well. When you turn on the news, sometimes we need to turn off the news. But when you see things, lament. Fall to your knees. Pray about it. Bring it to the Lord. This, again, this doesn't sound good, right? It's like, oh my goodness, what is he talking about? I'm talking about building ourselves up to make it to heaven. That's where we're trying to go, to glory. It's about God's kingdom. Use God's word to pray. If you just take the scriptures that you're reading in community group, if you just take a scripture a week and you pray through that scripture, just think if you take Joshua 1 and 8, and you pray, God, make me successful. Lord, make me prosperous according to your will. But help me, Lord. He doesn't do it apart apart of meditating on God's word. So he says, meditate. I meditate on the law of God day and night. Lord, help me to participate in meditating in your word. Help me to learn what it means... To be a follower of you. And then go to Psalms 1 and you pray Psalms 1. Lord, help me to abide in you. Don't let 
let me walk in the counsel of the wicked. Lord, help me from refraining from sitting in the seats of scoffers. Lord, help me, Lord Jesus, from not uh, uh, taking the counsel of the wicked. I want to be a stream, a tree planted by the stream of water. You see, if you pray God's word back to you, we, we've talked about this week time and time again, you'll be encouraged and will also cause you to memorize it. So those are some practical steps in order to develop a prayer life. And we want to continue to walk this out in our community groups so we can build people up and even our children. We don't want community groups to be about children being babies, uh, 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 babysat, but we actually want people in our community groups, <coughs> uh, children in our community groups to grow in their, develop- in their spiritual development. Amen. Here's, the, here's one thing that I want y'all to know throughout this passage is that You're not praying to anybody. You're praying to the Father. And do you know how important that is? As I noticed throughout verses 1 of chapter 6, all the way throughout the Lord's Prayer, they're praying to your Father. It's your Father that will reward you in secret. It's your Father that will be with you in the closet. I know many of us struggle with the concept of worshiping God as Father because of fatherly abuse because of fatherless homes Uh, my my pops was just here last week he's my stepfather who actually legally adopted me my mother and he got married later as I got older and I remember distinctly when she said do you want to call you Mike I think it's time for you to stop calling him by his name which I call him Dwayne to calling him dad. Well, I was like, dad seems lame. I was like, I don't know. She's like, well, what about pops? See, I didn't know my biological father. And so, as a kid, it was interesting to actually reflect on what it meant to go from to recognizing someone as a man, just a man in my mother's life to actually recognizing him as the father of my life. This is the transition for many of us. That you go from recognizing God from just being transcendent and up in the air, invisible, to intimate, a father who loves you and cares for you. And you can call him by his name. Amen. And that's the power of the gospel that moves us from simply from simple religious piety, which doesn't breed intimacy and dependency. That's Christ-centered. And we know this from Caiaphas. We know this from Herod. We know this from Pilate. We know this from Judas, who walked with Jesus. These were the individuals who rejected him and nailed Jesus to the cross. As you come to this table, know that this is just a pious act. We're not just here on our own effort of volition. But what God did for you 2,000 years ago, was so powerful that it transformed your life forever and ever. Amen. Please know that uh, after I pray, the offering will come down. Father, we love you and we bless you. It's your God that reminds us that you're our Father. Lord, as we thought of just thinking through this sermon, it seems so simple to want to be intimate with you. But Lord, it's it's easy to discount all of the things that distract us from you. So help us, Jesus.
to want to be proximate. Help us, Lord, to want to have an intimate relationship with you that always will require us to depend on you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. come to this table this isn't downtown church's table this is the Lord's table so as you come down this center aisle you're coming to God's table and if you're a believer this table is for you and this is where you need to come on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he had broken it he had given thanks he said this is my body which was broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also after supper he took the cup he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you now set these elements apart for your use, for your people, that they may be encouraged by what you've done on the cross on their behalf and how you want to have an intimate relationship with them and how you desire that even through this remembrance, even through this, your presence is amongst your people. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.